trapped a bunch of aging role-playing gamers in their homes, forcing them to crawl out of their pen and paper comfort zone and into the online world of virtual tabletops and video calls. To join them as they raise the curtain to share their stories, insights, and love all things geek. To grab your long sword and your plus one bottle of Viagra and get ready for another episode of Advanced Age Role-Playing Gamers Podcast. That's a lot of syllables for one sentence. Hello and welcome to the Advanced Age Role-Playing Gamers Podcast. I'm uh, your host, Nathan, and I've got with me my co-host. Hi, I'm Matt. I'm uh, the co-host. And we've got... Uh, we did it right that time, kind of. And we've got Drew Gaska with us uh, from Free League Publishing, uh, the writer, lead designer for the Alien product, the Alien RPG. And uh, we're so happy to have you here. Um, as I mentioned before... For the, for the podcast, we've run uh, uh, Destroy of Worlds. We've also played Hadley's Hope and, and had a lot of fun with it. And some of the things that uh, you created and I threw at them, they still give me shit about. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. That my job was done. Yeah, it um, is, is great. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself and, and talk about what you're doing with Free League and, and uh, maybe give, give us a little bit of a dive into some history about how you got there. Okay. Um so basically, I decided in the early 2000s that I was going to try and uh, run a studio that was going to do comics and novels and whatnot in sci-fi genres. So I tried to pick up some licenses. And in the end, long story short, I wound up with Planet of the Apes. And that was my first Planet of the Apes novel um, that came out in 2010 uh, called Conspiracy of Planet of the Apes. Uh, it was an illustrated novel, has paintings in it, a lot like Aliens Tribes, if you guys have ever read that book from Dark Horse, but it's uh, for Planet of the Apes. Okay. And um, a few years after that, the uh, franchise director over at uh, Fox at the time called me and said, hey, we're working on this uh, interconnected Planet of the Apes website, which didn't wind up not surfacing because of uh, uh, the Disney acquisition. But... He said, uh, we're working on this, and uh, we think you know this stuff better than we do. Do you want to be a franchise consultant for Planet of the Apes? And I was like, oh, of course, absolutely. And uh, that led to me doing stuff for Alien. And then eventually I wrote the 700-page in-house Predator Bible. Uh, because when the new movie was coming out, they thought they were going to have a big, uh, you know, licensee tie-in thing. And obviously the movie didn't do as well as they'd hoped. But yeah, so, and that's something I'm hoping that we can somehow, we'll somehow see the light of day uh, for, for the general consumption. But yeah, I worked very hard on that for several months. And uh, in the process of all this, I was told by the, the, the franchise director over there that um, if there's any property that doesn't have something locked up already with a licensor, licensee, excuse me, that I can find a project for they'll make sure that I'm recommended as the writer for it. Yeah. So I saw as there was no alien role playing game. So I went around and I shopped it around for almost two years. Uh, and every company I went to was like, uh, no, no, it's a one hit wonder. You'll, you, it's more, Oh, it's the alien every time. So no, no one wanted to back it. And then I connected with a friend of mine, Joe Lafavi, who is, um, he makes these type of things happen in a, in you know between Hollywood and publishers and whatnot. He's he's an awesome dude, um, 
And he, um, I went to him and I said, listen, I, I can't find anybody. Can you find somebody? And within 30 days, he had hooked Free League up with the project and Free League and Fox asked me to, to write it. That on Joe's end, he had just really liked what Free League was doing. And he, he said to them, give me a list of the top licenses you'd want to do. And Alien was at the top of that list. And the next week I called Joe and I said, can you find someone who wants to do Alien? So it was this, they were looking for Alien and I was looking for someone to take Alien and it was wow. just a perfect connection. So That's, that's uh, pretty crazy how things happen. That's, uh, you know, serendipity, yeah. I guess. It's definitely not your normal story, you know. <laughs> um, none of my none of my career in this business has been the way things normally get. It's like there, I got that Planet of the Apes license because I was making good money in video games. I was working for Rockstar Games on Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead okay. Redemption, and I had gone into a comic shop and I've told the story a million times, but I'll try to make this part quick. Um, went to a comic shop and there was Planet of the Apes comic there. I was like, "Oh, that's awesome! Who's putting this out? Marvel, DC?" And it was somebody called Mister Comics. <laughs> and I was like, if Mr. Bleepin' Comics can get a license, so can I. And I, that's when I got a hired, hired an entertainment lawyer and did all that stuff. So that's that's what it was just signing. OK, maybe I just need to make this happen for myself is what I thought, rather than, you know, trying to submit things and hoping somebody would pick me up. That's what I did. Yeah, that's a you know, pretty, pretty interesting kind of chain of events there. You wouldn't. It's kind of snaking through the uh, process of from video games to graphic novel type product to an RPG. H- had you written any other RPG products? Uh, no, but I was a GM for 22 years. Okay. You know, and I had already retired working on that. I say retired, you know. Uh, <laughs> it had been like 10, 15 years since I wrote any RPG stuff because I just didn't have time with my work. And... um I was coming on to just write the setting and um, lore and to punch up some of the rule sections with some tone, you know, like that, you know, better check what's in your trunk and nonsense like that. That's in the regular rule sections. I wrote all those silly lines and threw them in there, you know, (laughs) so it wouldn't be dry Uh, because the rules are great. But, you know, when you're reading a rule book, you don't want to be reading an encyclopedia. You got to punch up things. And someone else was supposed to be writing the adventure chariot of the gods and uh, hope's last day from Dave Semark was the convention game that they were doing. It was not okay. supposed to go in the core book. Originally, the guy who was writing chariot of the gods, which didn't have that name yet. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure I named it either. I don't know if he, I don't know if they let him go. I don't know if he quit. I don't know what happened, but they called me one day and they said, Hey, do you want to take a stab at this? And I was like, Sure. I mean, I GM for 22 years. You know, I wrote a billion adventures for, you know, three people around a table. Why not? I give it a shot. And in the process, it became big. Uh, Chariot became bigger than it was supposed to be, which is my trademark, apparently. <laughs> the core book was originally supposed to be like 220 pages, and it's 340 or 380, something like that. I can't remember. But um, and it's because I overwrote everything. So they decided to pull Chariot out put the con adventure in and give chariot its own release, which eventually came into the starter set. Um, Cause originally chariot was released by itself oh, that's uh, with a whole bunch of other really cool things like the dice and the maps and everything. And they decided to condense it all into one set. So, so was it their idea to do the box set? Yeah. I didn't even know about the box set. It, you know, it was what it happened is from what I understand. And again, forgive me 
if I've got this wrong, but from what I understand, the core book sold out immediately and retailers had chariot and they had the map set and dice sitting around with no core book to sell. So they were like, what the hell are we going to do with this? And nobody wanted to order that crap. So they condensed it all into a box set that had everything and the stripped down rules and then boom, crazy sales on that one. So, you know, it, it, it's much better. It's a much better deal for the consumer also, because I think all that stuff together, I don't know, it, it came to like 80 bucks and you get it for 50 instead in the, in the set, as I recall. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really good deal. And, and, um, quality of the map paper and everything. I and mean, you saw it in Destroyer, it's the same way, yeah. obviously. It, they, they really go all out. They do really quality products at Free League. Yeah, we've been really impressed. So, I mean, growing up, we, you know, TSR, all the sort of, you know, the older game companies. I, I kind of feel like Free League's really coming into the spotlight of being a major... I mean, if you talk about, like... So, first of all, it's interesting that no one was interested in Aliens. Like, I get the idea that, oh, yeah, it's it's just the Alien, but even still... That's a genre or, a, or an event thing that has everybody knows it, right? Yeah. Everybody knows it. Everybody wants to be Ripley and the giant, you know, loader going toe to toe or one of the Marines, right? Or it's a great setting. And Free League has, they've got aliens now, right? They've got Lord of the Rings, right? They're getting ready to release Blade Runner. So they, they've, they've have been pretty savvy to uh, support. Some pretty, uh, I would call cultural icons, mm-hmm. right? For for the sci-fi and fantasy genre. Well, I mean, here's the thing with Alien: like, it could very easily turn into a one-note thing, especially if you're not going to make use of the cool stuff that's in the prequel, because that black goo gives me all these opportunities to do weird things with the stories. And and minor spoiler alert for Chariot, because I'm not going to give the exact thing away, but. Chariot is set up like just like the first Alien movie is. You're on a ship. You encounter a lost ship that's been lost for a long time. You know, stress call thing. It's a particular, so slightly different, right? You get on board that thing, and you're expecting the alien. But I don't give you the alien there. So everybody at the table is totally, suddenly, wait, what? All my expectations are blown. What the hell am I dealing with? And... <laughs> There's a few people that complained, why isn't this the regular alien in this? And this is exactly why, because we needed to capture that I don't know what the hell is going on from the players. And that's why I pushed for it to be not the alien, but a variant. So, yeah, so it, it's funny. These people, some people hate the prequels so much that they, well, I'm going to change it to the alien. It's like, okay, <laughs> you change it to the alien, but then you just, you just unbalanced everything. And I've noticed that a lot of people who change it then give, oh, I didn't like it. Well, you didn't play it the way it was intended. So, but, but in in most cases I've gotten, and I I really am happy about this. I get um, fans telling me um, that they didn't like the prequels until they started playing chariot and this. And then they suddenly realized there's all these cool ideas in the prequels. They may have just not been realized as much in the film. My favorite fan review I ever got was, Aliens Chariot of the God Alien Chariot of the Gods redeems the alien prequels. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's yeah. awesome. So, you know, it's it's there's there's all this stuff that's there, and, and I could see why someone would think, because I mean, how many times are you gonna go up to the egg and not then and you know look in the egg and right. you know and face <laughs> off face <laughs> okay, yeah. And the alien should never be something like yawn. It should be 
oh my god, oh my god, it's an alien this time. I'm getting the bleep out of here. Can I curse on this or no? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we so are. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Okay. Yeah. That's what it needs. That's what it needs to be. So you have to have other things in there so that when you actually get to the alien, it's more special. So it's 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 a it's a balancing act, is what it comes down to. Well, I could tell as a player in Nathan's when he ran Destroyer of uh, Worlds, the whole not giving too many spoilers, but that extra added dimension of having something else other than the alien. Because none of us, right, everyone's seen the movie way too mm-hmm. many times probably, right? But having something else that you don't know what it is, you don't know what it's going to do, you don't know, you know, uh, and actually we left that game with some mysteries never really solved. So it's kind of yeah. an interesting. Which I didn't know, which which leads to one of the questions I wanted to ask. It's like, uh, so was this always going to be a, a trilogy? Because we, we could, or maybe even more than that, because we can see the Draconis strain story kind of, from, I guess from Chariot Gods to Destroy, Destroy Worlds to to a Heart of Darkness, but so, there's also also a bunch of it in the in the in the CMOM, yeah, in the yeah. Conan Marines Operations Bound. Yeah. yeah. Um. So when I wrote Chariot, I was like, okay, I'd be stupid if I don't do anything with the rest of the Cronus because it's lifeboat. I mean, the ship is here and the lifeboat is missing. Mm-hmm. You know. So I knew I'm going to do something with that, and I didn't, wasn't sure what it was, and I went through all these different things and I don't know if you, you've heard, but destroyer was originally very different. Mm-hmm. Destroyer was originally about a virus that was out of control on a colony and nobody knew who was sick and who wasn't. And the, there, I had ideas for story cards that were going to tell you to cough and things like that. And, you know, but then COVID hit right after I finished writing this. <laughs> oh, no. And, and um, so I wrote that during the fall and then in the spring, Thomas calls me and he's like, we need to rethink Destroyer. <laughs> and I was like, at first I got up on my high horse and I'm like, no, sci-fi should always address the issues of the day and we should tell stories about it. And, and he said something very humbling to me, which made me realize he was also right. I was right, but he was right too. You don't write a story about a man escaping a burning building the day after 9-11. So let's let this thing go through and calm down before we go right something that makes something like this is my life right now, you know? And so he's totally right. So we adjusted everything and I've, I've put elements from what was originally in destroyer in you know, the heart of darkness and other things. So it's, and nothing is was wasted. And I think, and obviously it's stronger the way it's turned out in the end, but I set out from the beginning thinking we're going to set this in a year in the alien universe and every year of releases, we're going to advance the timeline one year and there's going to be fallout for the things that are happening. I, I wanted this to be living, breathing. And then I, I reached out to, um, to Titan uh, uh, in regards to their novels. And um, I wanted to have some kind of interaction with us and them. And Cold Iron uh, Studios, who did the Alien uh, Fireteam Elite game, they actually reached out to us. Um, so that we could sync up the histories and everything. And a lot of stuff I put in the CMOM, which is Colonial Marines Operations Manual, people, yeah. in case you don't know the, the, the abbreviation. A lot of stuff I put in the CMOM sets up stuff that's actually in Aliens Fireteam Elite. And apparently I found out that they actually accidentally give away the secret of one of our campaign missions oh, no. in there by saying 20 years ago this thing happened <laughs> which, which is awesome at the same time it's not because that takes yeah. place 20 years after our thing what's great is the guy that 
if you played that adventure, you're sitting there playing Fire Team Elite, and you're like, they're talking about me because it says <laughs> 20 years ago a Marine team team did X, Y, and Z, and we've tried to work it in so that you're now interactive part of the alien universe. There's we won't give away enough information when we talk about it in a novel or something so that it's it's like it won't fit your campaign. But we will mention it in a way that it absolutely whatever happened to your campaign has just been mentioned. So that that's the trick too. How do you mention it in a generic way? Because you know different campaigns go off the rails. So I, I just wanted this complicated, like reliving, breathing universe, and and it 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 looks like it's working out. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Tying like like a sort of a canon between different mediums. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that kind of plays to your strengths too, because you've you've played in all those mediums. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the past, companies wouldn't have been interested in doing things like this because everybody just wants to do their own thing. And that's why you have all this disjointed stuff in a franchise that doesn't feel like it fits together. Um, The Marvel, Sony, and... Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, Marvel, as Disney's Marvel movies have done a great job to keep everything together now. But I mean, the old way, yeah, absolutely. It was completely nothing had anything to do with each other. And people have seen the value in that. And it's because of those Marvel... Disney films is like that companies are like, Oh yeah, let's connect with that now. Um, so it's, it, it's, and when I, I'm a huge fan of the old star Wars West end role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, I GM that forever. Um, and because of that, when I started to write these alien books, I wanted them to be source books for the universe, just as much as that they were a cool game. Um, because there's always that person who, I mean, I, I had friends who bought those Star Wars source books just because I'm a Star Wars fan. I'll never play role play this thing, but then it stares at you and it's a gateway drug to role play. So, and those books got handed off to authors as source books for their novels in the Star Wars universe. And that's what's happening now with the role playing games. They're being given to their writers and stuff. And I think that's fantastic. We're all in sync now. Well, and they're treating the IP like, like it's, you know, like it's, they're treating the IP well. They're they're taking it seriously in that, you know, you've seen some growing up. There were probably like two or three D and D movies, and they were all awful. And, mm-hmm. and they just, it was just like, okay, we're just gonna make a, we're gonna make a few dollars on, on the people that are, are fans of this stuff, and it's gonna be, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's any good. Uh, but now, I mean, this, the the quality that that freely is putting out in in Alien and in in the other. IP that they've got a hold of now is just uh, phenomenal. Just the the art, the, the build quality, the books is super nice. The binding is is great. So, yeah, I'm loving this. So one of the things uh, I wanted to ask you about was um, uh, I'm probably just a tiny bit older than you are, but but we've probably been playing games about the s- same length of time. How old uh, are you? I, I am 51. You're a year older than me. I turn right. 50 next month. So. I was never a huge fan of of pregens for for characters mm-hmm. uh, until I played Destroyer Worlds with with these guys. Uh, I guess this part of it, I think, is the the way the system works, where you have a a buddy and a rival. Uh, but the backgrounds worked really well, and my my friends did such a great job bringing those characters to life and just diving right in. And making the ruin, like um, our friend Sean, uh, there will be never be any other uh, Gunny Sergeant Mason. Hmm. Uh, and, and Tears Dante was just totally off the rails. Um, See that? Uh, and no, that's no, a, Hammer. I'm sorry, Hammer. Hammer. That, yeah, he played Hammer. Yeah, that's an interesting thing because 
you know, I, I, I look at the Reddit stuff and I see what people are saying and, and whatnot. And every now and then there's somebody who has negative comments and you expect that. And I, I read these negative comments to think, okay, whether this guy is right or wrong, why did that, why did you get to that? Okay. What can we do to make sure that that doesn't come across that way? You know, it's because it's no matter what you can always learn. Okay. Yeah. And there's people, I, I think the people that are, are, don't get the game are because they're not, they're not willing to broaden their horizons of what role-playing means and stuff like that. And because I've heard several times that, oh, there's no player agency because you've given us a character and then you give us these agendas. And, but I've seen people at the table just take those agendas and do such interesting different things with them and, and you know, betray everybody in a completely unexpected way and when it all goes down and i've seen people who don't role play sit down an alien and be like okay now i have a guide to what to do so i can i i know what this character is supposed to be and i'll and they do their own interpretation of that character and it's great for that and and if someone wants to use their own characters absolutely that's why we have campaign play you know yeah if you could, if you could modify things in any cinematic to use your own characters as well, but the GM has to be aware of the balance. It's like, why does this guy have a split personality? There's a reason for that because it's important to the story later on. Yada yada yada, you know. So it, it, it's it, you got to be careful when you change things to balance it. Is what it comes down to. People, Hammer seems to be the the one. That people <laughs> really have the most unique experiences with. Oh, I mean, yeah, it just, there are just so many quotable moments. Uh, like the, so there's a part where where they come across a kid, and you know oh. something's not quite right with the kid. Right, right. And just his his reaction to the whole thing was, I like every time I listen to it, it's like the funniest thing, and it's awful, and it's um, those characters. I think there's just enough in them for my players to to grab that and just make it their own, and uh, and they really just didn't skip a beat. Like, maybe it took a couple of sessions to kind of really get in the groove, but uh, mm-hmm. after that, it was just it was just beautiful. Um, but so so that that I really liked. Well, and Nathan, if you don't mind, so as a player, I didn't feel so right. We've playing for. I didn't feel that those pre-gen characters felt railroaded at all, mm-hmm. even with the agendas, right? Because you're. I think what you said is right. It, it gave us, it gave us like a left and right wall, but it still gave us like how we wanted to to get to achieve that, right? So no, I, I thought it worked really great. So I, I liked my character. I loved the agenda. I got Dante, who okay. unfortunately after what I don't know it was like five or six, seven sessions. And I realized Dante supposed to be a woman. I, I didn't even, I, I played him as a guy. And I just didn't even realize I was back and I was reading. Through, I was like, Oh no. Like, but what difference does that make? That's fine. Right, right. Right. So I, Dante was a guy for me. And so it was like, but, but I, I had a lot of fun with that. And, and I, you know, won't say yeah. why Dante's yeah. got a, a very, uh, I like his, um, that guy that came down to the wire for, for his mm, okay. backstory. So sorry, Nathan, I, no, no, no. I was I was rambling anyway. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's let's talk a, a little bit about Heart of Darkness. Okay. So I've been flipping through it, and do you want to talk about the star of Heart of Darkness? That's what I was saying. Yeah. Oh, do you oh, recognize oh, anyone? Oh, from that, the there you go. The, the tuxedo cat. Yes, he's asleep. Good kitty. <laughs> just reading through that, and just seeing now the evolution of, of where you've taken the whole Draconis strain, 
bit is just like kind of blew my mind a bit. Uh, and, and also, so I was re- reading through it, and, and, and uh, I, I was thinking about how writers usually take like a piece of themselves, and they they, they kind of put it in, into the stories they write. And, and then I got to cuddles, <laughs> and, and, and then I got concerned and, and disturbed. And what, what what part of cuddles disturbed oh, you? Oh, <laughs> just the whole, uh, especially kind of the narrative description, right? <laughs> um, and that the whole piece is just a, you know, fifty one years old. I feel like I'm I'm fairly jaded and and hard to kind of like gross out. I've got Clive Barker books <laughs> and China Mieville and and holy shit! I mean, uh, I mean, do you need to talk to somebody? Are you okay? Uh, I, I, right I'm there? not gonna I'm not gonna name names, but uh, <laughs> several years ago, not that long ago, but a few years ago, I had an editor tell me that they didn't think I had the chops for writing horror. So I was like, oh, really? <laughs> let's see about that. Uh, uh, Challenge let's, accepted. Let's tie them to a chair and make them read that whole bit. Actually, the whole section. That Everything kind of leading up to that was just like, it was like, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's, oh, no, that's bad. Uh, uterus? What? No, no, no. <laughs> uh, uh, and it's just, uh, whew. There's, there's one part in one of the events where something really nasty happens and then i wrote afterwards okay i think the writer has a problem and they left it in the book i thought they were gonna, i left it in there for, for thomas and nils and they left it in i saw it i was like oh my god that's great uh yeah and I, actually i love that meta kind of stuff mm-hmm. as matt will probably attest to uh but so speaking of that so that that's really well done if, if you, you if you like body horror this is Got it. <laughs> so the funny thing is, is that I can't watch, um, like I can't watch like Saw or anything like that. That it's too disturbing for me. I can't deal with that. Um, so what I'm just trying to do when I write these things is, how do I describe these things in a way that's more evocative of emotion mm-hmm. than it is of s- describing what it is? It's like you know, how do you describe eyeballs shooting across the room? without saying eyeball shot across the room, you know, and I think I pulled that off. Okay. in, in chariot when that happens, um, it's, it, it's, it's about taking a novelist's approach to it to make you say, Oh, I'm really seeing that because he didn't use the words that you would expect to see that, you know? And, and, and I, I have loved HP Lovecraft since I was a kid, like, you know, his work. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of that in it. And I've noticed with Lovecraft stuff that you never, Every time I see someone's drawn the creatures, I'm like, that's not what it looks like. Because they're not really described well enough to draw what it looks like. And everybody sees something different in their head. Um, so, you know, what I envision that thing looks like, someone else has got a completely different view. So, you, you know, it, it's, all about, it's all about describing things as visually as possible. Yeah, and I noticed there weren't really a lot of, like, there, there weren't, like, kind of stat block pictures of, of the of the new developments, we'll call them. You could read those the, the descriptions of, of, of what the players are going to face, and you, you definitely do get it. And you don't really, probably, if they try to draw them out, it probably would take something away from that. Mm-hmm. So so I think that's probably a, a good decision on, on everybody's uh, part there. Well, the, the artists that they've had working on the, the alien stuff have been, I mean, it's all moody. 
and the art just makes you feel what's going on there. Is there's no question there. It's 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 if it was drawn like in regular comic book art or something like that, it would never. Those books would not feel the way they do. You know, so they all that deep shadow really makes you feel something more. No bright color. It's all very washed, mm-hmm. right? Sort of mm-hmm. a yeah. So speaking of interesting elements, so you you, you mentioned it, but yes, yeah, so. That there is an option if someone should perish, that there is an alternate way to experience the game. And and I, and again, I was reading it. I was like, oh, that's an interesting. And then I was reading your profile. I'm like, oh, you sly dog. <laughs> like, so was that something that started as a joke, or or, were you, or was this like, had you planned to do this, or were like one night you're up late, you know, you're like you know, walks across the keyboard and you're like, you're in. You know? <laughs> well, he's he's always. This, the, that's the farthest away he that always is from me. Like he's usually in my lap or in the seat or whatever. Um, he's he's not like a normal cat. His name his name is Adrian for people who don't know. He's very intelligent and he's he makes his intentions very clear and he's very loyal. Also, um, he gets upset when I go away. And I wanted you to. Ha- I wanted to have statistics for cats and the dogs and other animals in the core book. But they were like, there's no room for that. Stop. You've got too much in here already. Just stop. So I stopped. (laughs) But so, and I started thinking about it. And wouldn't it be great? I thought about Jonesy, you know, and I think, what what about, what what would you do if you were Jonesy? So is there a way to do this? So I, I snuck it into the concept and to see if anyone would say anything. And um, I think it was Nils who caught it first. And Someone over there was like, oh, this is a bad idea. It's going to be too comical. Um, and Nils was like, absolutely not. This is great. And, and then Thomas saw it, and he was like, yeah, let's do it. So I was very happy about that. And I, I took, we got pictures of um, – they literally just used a picture I have of Adrian as the thing. <laughs> and then I laid on the floor um, so I'd get a ground-eye view. And uh, m- my girlfriend was on the other side of the um, room with treats for the cat – and so he'd walk from me towards her. And that's, I snapped off the photo, which is the image of him carrying the thing in the yeah, like yeah, doll so, or something. Yeah. 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 yeah so we, we used that to him. We, we gave that to them and said, yes, this is, this is the point of view you want. So then that picture, I think is pretty creepy in the book too, with the cat walking mm-hmm. and carrying the thing. So, you know, yeah, Adrian is the star. So. Well, I thought it was an excellent idea. I, I think that idea, that perspective Right, if you're a player, because I mean, we had we had at least one death, right? At, at least I think. Yeah, yeah. But that just kind of the whole idea of like experiencing that story from, I guess, it would be instead of bird's eye view, cat's eye view, uh, might be kind of fun. Yeah, and, and, I, and I haven't read them, but I, I the, the teaser was not every not every it has an agenda as well. Yeah, and, and it may not always be <laughs> to the party's best outcome. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, a cat's going to do what a cat's going to do, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's not that you can't go, Adrian, go get help. And the cat go get help. And he just sits there licking himself, looking at you like, what the hell's your problem? <laughs> so, yeah. So, can it get goofy? Yeah, if your players decide to take it their route. Or if they, they're very serious about playing a cat. There's I And I made the cat important for the party also because, because of the location of where Heart of Darkness takes place, everybody's getting severe stress, whether they want it or not. Um, it's a, a byproduct of where they are. 
orbiting a black hole. I believe it says it on the back of the cover, so it doesn't really matter. Um, so the black hole is, is causing everybody to have negative reaction. So if you sit with the cat, the cat's purring takes away a stress level. You know, I, I was like, how can yeah. we work this in? That makes sense. Because Mike, he always takes away my stress when he does that. So, <laughs> you know, so yeah, so I, I, I found ways to make it work for the rules to help the players because they're going to need that. So. Yeah, so there's a lot of um, a lot of science in this one too. Just uh, uh, did you do research for that, or is there Absolutely. Other, other people working for? Nope, okay. just me, just, just me. you. So, so that's that's some pretty interesting uh, stuff. Like, I, I don't want to give away anything, but there's definitely just the the, the play the, the the setting uh, plays a bit big effect on on the players. And there, but you've got explanations for these phenomena that take place that that, that explain that. So I think that's pretty, uh, pretty cool because uh, you know alien can be pretty far out sometimes. But uh, you know it's nice to kind of ground it, ground at least some of it in, in some science that that makes it believable. When I um, when I wrote my second Planet of the Apes novel, uh, Death of the Planet of the Apes, uh, Taylor, you know um, Chuck Heston's character. I have a flashback in there to what happened to him in the Korean War. And it's a, it takes place during a dogfight where something weird happens. And I was like, okay, I have to use terms that they only used when flying planes in the 50s. I can't accidentally use a modern term. I got to make sure that I know what this engine does. I gotta, because I, don't, I, can't, I can't half-ass it. I can't bullshit it. Because no matter what, at the end of the day, actually, I am bullshitting because I'm not I'm not an expert on flying 1953 <laughs> airplanes, but I'm going to damn well make sure I did everything I can to make this as less as least bullshit as possible. And the best sci-fi, you use a little bit of science to hide the fact that the weird shit, you, you make it seem like the weird shit is, oh, because of the science, this makes sense. You know, and then, and then, then it's not like, what the hell was that crap? Oh, that's taken care of. So, yeah, I, it, it's something that I'm very... Um, I don't know, anal retentive about that. I'm very OCD about. I, I'm like, this guy has to make sense. It's gonna make sense. So, so is that part of that? I noticed one of the projects you're working on has to do with uh, Space 1999. Yeah, no, I wrote uh, two graphic novels for that. Uh, 2013, they came out. Um, I, I remember watching that as a kid, but that's more like I guess we call it like almost more hard sci-fi. Yeah, I somewhat. Mean- in some ways it was, in other ways it was like they just threw science out the window. Like what happens with the with the moon blasting out of orbit and everything, they didn't really they didn't really think that through. So when I wrote the graphic novels, I I thought it through. I made it make sense. Like the first graphic novel is called Aftershock and Awe. Uh, the first half of it is a retelling of the pilot episode of Space 1999. But apparently when the pilot episode was done, it was three hours long. They chopped it all down to what they did to a single episode. It wasn't even a two-parter in the end. And they got rid of all the rest of the footage. But there's audio cassettes of all the extra scenes that they had done because someone on set was just recording the, the sub. So I went through those audio cassettes because they're on YouTube. And I, I, I looked up scripts and I, was, I found all the scenes. And I was like, okay, season two characters are not mentioned in the pilot. They just suddenly appear as if they've been there already. So I'm going to work, show what they were doing in this. And I, I did this extended version. And then the second half of that book tells what happens to the families of the people that are on the moon on earth when the moon blasts out of orbit, because there's a lot of science about how fucked up the earth would get if the moon suddenly blasted out of orbit. So 
Yeah, so it, I, this is just a trend with me. I <laughs> I have this problem where I was like, I gotta make this make sense. <laughs> Too many people say, well, it doesn't make any sense at all, and I'm like, it's sci-fi. There's always a way to make it sense. So I was um, again looking through this too, and just trying to connect the dots between the the three. The I'm calling it a trilogy, but it's not really a trilogy. Uh, it kind of is. Yeah, yeah. So. I think I mentioned earlier, but you see, look, you took it a direction I wasn't really expecting as the fallout from Destroyer Worlds. And it's, uh, I mean, it's very, like, escalated. Was, Are you talking about the border bombers? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that and the radiation stuff. Okay. Uh, like that, the, the whole si- the science bit. And the re- repercussions of that and, and the other, the, the, new, the new threats. Mm-hmm. And... It's just I'm just wondering, like, is that once you're done with Chariot of Gods, was this like always in your mind to kind of do that, that take it that far, or is it, was this something you did after getting through Destroyer of Worlds? Are you talking, so you're talking about the new threat? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, because Heart of Darkness introduces a brand new threat to the Alien universe, um, yeah. uh, something that people are not expecting, and I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Uh, if if things go according to plan, we'll see a lot of fallout from this um, in many places. So it actually just, it came about from me thinking about, okay, so I, it's very difficult to talk about these things without talking I know, about these really things. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to ask the question. I was and trying we to don't, we, we definitely don't want to ruin it for anybody. But No, but, no, but not at all. It's, my, it's, it's worth it. Yeah. My approach to these things is like with a license. I will never be like, oh, I got to do this license. Well, I really want to do this story about basket weaving. So now we're going to basket weave an alien. Okay. Because that's all I really care about. Basket weaving is my passion. I will never do that. Okay. I don't care what the license is. I really don't like Power Rangers. If it was Power Rangers and I was working on it, they'd have to offer me a lot of money to work on it. But I would still do the same thing that I'm about to say now is that I look, I, I, I read all the shit. I watch all the shit over and over again, and I play the video games, and I do everything about it, and I say, okay, we have this here, and there's this here, okay? But this kind of implies this, even though it was never intended to. So we'll do this story that does this. You know, I'm not looking to change the universe. I'm looking at what is, what should be there that's not, that makes sense from everything around it. And, um, again, without giving away, there are some things that happen in the prequels that don't get answered that made me think, huh, how can I address this? And, and I don't even know if, you, if you've picked up on this yet, but how can we address this in a way that not only we can talk about possibly what that meant, but in a way also that Ridley Scott will never be like, why did they do this? You know, because <laughs> really yeah. didn't have plans. What are you doing, buddy? What are you doing? What are you doing? Is he in the shot anymore or no? Some addition. Yeah, yeah, he's there. Yeah. All right. Want some snacks? Probably. Snacks. Um, snacks. Yes. Um, we all. Have this cat is my Wookie. Okay, so when I moved down to Florida, and then when I moved up from Florida to St. Louis, um, you know, I have a I have a Ford Expedition, and. Uh, with the call entire car is packed and I've got pillows and everything on the f- seat next to me. And he sat on my shoulder literally the whole time. And when I, whenever I had to stop to go to the bathroom, 
I just unzip his thing and he'd just go sit in that until I came back. And it's, it's, it's not your normal cat. No. Um, so that's why I was very happy to finally make him a star. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find water soluble ink or something that when we do signings, I can put his paw print on the oh, book as well. Oh, that would be very <laughs> cool. So he's going to need to get an agent, yeah, you know, exactly. so keep him grounded, right? Don't yes. let it go to his head. <laughs> so what do you call it? Anyway, I'm sorry. That was a tangent. Well, we we're talking about the, the connecting the dots and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, implied. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's just, it, it was making me think about things and, 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 and this is the biggest thing also. It's like, it's like, you can't contradict. You can't say something. You can't go do something sh- life shattering that might be contradicted in the next movie. Okay, so there are mm-hmm. there are things that we haven't even been told. Don't touch that. But I'm just not touching that, and I'm finding a way to address things around it because I know better. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, and this is something else people don't understand. Franchise consultant, right? Okay. A lot of people say. Here's the guy who controls the canon. No, I'm a consultant. I, they say to me, hey, can you make this shit make sense? And I say, well, sure. And I put together a thing and I make recommendations and I think this should mean this and this should mean this. And they get it and they go through it and they can say, this is garbage. No. Or they can say, yeah, absolutely. Nine times out of 10, they're like, absolutely. That makes sense. You know, every now and then I've gone in the wrong direction from what they intend and they tell me, and I say, "Oh, okay," and I fix that. I don't control anything, you know. I'm, I, I, I keep the canon, um, and I try to make sure that everything I'm involved in, even is just like with Cold Iron. Cold Iron originally just had a couple of questions, and I was like, "Well, what are you guys doing?" They showed me what they had planned, and I was like, "Ooh, this one thing you got to change because that actually contradicts something that's already out there." Mm-hmm. And I said, "But all this other weird new stuff you have." Let me lay the seeds for that in the sea mom so it doesn't seem so weird. And 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 it's just it's about working that together. Um so yeah, I don't control the canon. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and I just I just work to make it all make as much sense as possible and yet still not just be the boring status quo. So it's it, it is a total juggling act. So how's what's the process like when you when you come up with like a a plot line or, or some, some hard details that, that you want to put in, you know, in CMOM or, or one of these other books to get it kind of uh, blessed by Fox or. Well, it's not Fox anymore. Now it's 20th century studios. All right, well, yeah, that, thanks yeah. for correcting me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. They dropped the word Fox um, 20th century studios and they belong to Disney. So, hmm. so I have to fill out. Um, it's probably less than 2000 words, a sheet that says, Hey, this is the concept. This is what I'm planning to do. Here's the type of characters you'll see. And here's a very vague plot because I don't, I probably don't have the plot figured out completely yet. Right. So I have to write it in a way that does two things. Leaves room for me to hand in something that goes a little off those rails. Um, that doesn't make them say, this is not at all what we approve, you know? And also write it in a way that if I'm going to do something radical, they won't veto it from day one. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, if I just say, um, well, now aliens are pink. And of course, they'd be like, no, but if I have them go through a cocoon and a metamorphosis and they arrive and they're pink in the end, when they read that in the final, they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense that they're pink now. You know, you got, you, you gotta, it, 
it, that's the most basic way to explain what I'm saying, but you get what I'm saying by saying yeah. that, you know, uh, you, 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 you hit them with the radical thing and they're like, no, you present it in a way that they can understand it. And then they're like, wow, that's really cool. Let's do that. So, um, I, again, we get approvals on that feedback, whatever, until it's finally approved. Some, most of the time it's approved right away. Sometimes there's back and forth. Then I go and write, and I I write and design the maps, and then um, you know, uh, Christian at Free League he he makes my maps better, um, and Thomas and Nils tell me no a lot because it needs to be said. Um, <laughs> I, I have a tendency I, I have a tendency to really complicate things with the rules, um, probably because I played Dungeons and Dragons forever. And, you know, that was roll for this, roll for this, roll for this. And Free League, it's like, no, we roll this one time, and there's a modifier, and it's done. So they're always, like, saying, well, let's rewrite this roll part. And it's never been my forte, and I never pretended it was. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, we go back and forth with that. And then um, Dave Semark, uh, who wrote uh, Hope's Last Day, and a, a lot of the, um, the core books, uh, Alien Attacks, I've written the Alien Attack since the core book, but he wrote the one in the core book, the ones in the core book. He play tests it, um, and we get feedback from them on what worked and what didn't. And we make the final tweaks, and then we get it over to Disney, and um, we usually get a list of questions back that are very that are like, "Well, why would this be like this?" You know, and I say, "Well, if you look at this Dark Horse comic." And if you look at this novel here and you look at this un unused design from Covenant, X, Y, Z, and they say, oh, okay, because it all pre-exists. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, even the weird things I do are coming out of things that pre-exist. Hmm. So they're, they're not going to shoot it down if you have precedent for it. Um, and, then, and then there's some minor things that they want tweaked and we tweak them. And then it goes out for beta People who pre-ordered it get a uh, advanced PDF of it, yeah. and for two or three weeks, we get lists on the forum. Hey, you guys misspelled this here. Hey, this card is mentioned, but it's not one of the cards anymore. You know, little things that because we've been staring at it for six months, we don't realize anymore. You know, um, and that we just went through that phase with um, Heart of Darkness. Um, mm -hmm. So the final tweaks are being made, and when, once that's done, once it goes to print, the PDFs will be updated for everybody. And and that so that's the process really. It's 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 not as I mean I don't think that sounds complicated. You know it it, it, it it goes well because I've been doing this for so long because I was a consultant beforehand, so I was the guy on the other side of the table originally. I know how to word things in a way that they're probably gonna say, oh okay, you know. And and if you don't know how to do that, it could get shut down. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, I mean, it's just pretty cool. No, yeah. yeah, it makes sense. It's just, it, it's an interesting, the whole idea of navigating like all of these, right? The, the sort of, right, you can't break the canon, right? So you've got mm -hmm. all these people have equities in these sort of, I guess, you know, in these, these settings, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot at stake and it's interesting. It's, it's cool that you can like navigate through there and get something published. Um, speaking of rules, so just, so how much of the rules in aliens, um, 
was already were already set up for you or did you have any say in them so i guess the number one thing that well i know i liked as a player was the stress mechanic right and i know it's different in so we've played several different free league games and the rules are similar but not the same right and so when playing between this there was stress in the twilight 2000 setting Called the stress and panic cycle. Yeah, the stress <laughs> and panic cycle. And one of the things that I know I enjoyed as a player was the concept of, of like, again, going back to D&D, as you play, your character gets better and better and better. I, I felt for us with the stress mechanic, it was awesome because the best our characters were, were at moment one. <laughs> and everything after that. Uh, and, and as we hurtled toward the climax, there's, where there's less time to just sit and relax. It's just, you know, are we going to either be killed or are we all just going to go, you know, so that I don't know how much of that mechanic you had uh, you work with or was that just a set piece from them or. So absolutely none of it. Like I, I wrote the core book stuff blind of any rules. I oh, wow. didn't, didn't know. I didn't know what they were doing with the rules. I didn't know anything. I just wrote stuff and then they put rule stuff in. That's not the way it is now, because now I. I know it. Now I just write stuff and get chastised and they fix it. But um, <laughs> but um, when I first came on board, I wrote this document of what I felt like, this is what I think we need to have in here, what we need that. And I had, um, and like I said, I, I, so with this, I don't know what Free League, I don't know if I inspired this. I'm going to guess that I didn't. But I had said in the beginning that I think we need to have something for post-traumatic stress disorder. Because you know, it, it's just like even in the in the first Aliens comic books that were set 15 years after Aliens, an older Hicks was closed his eyes and saw the aliens every night. You know, he, he couldn't get over it. And I just thought that's really I, these things are so terrible. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so. We need something for post-traumatic stress disorder. And so that was some of the things on my list. So I don't know if they were already playing the stress rules, probably. I didn't know. I didn't tell them how to do it or anything. I'm pretty sure they came up with it on their own. We're just like, oh, good. We're in sync, you know? So, yeah, no, nothing to do with the rules. What do you call it? That just, I was just here. Like I said, originally, I was just here to write the setting. So, well, it, it matched very, it, however, that was decided, it mm -hmm. matched very well. Nathan, I know, I just don't know how long we're going to go, and Sean will kill you if you don't ask him about. The rhino. Oh, the, <laughs> so the, the the charger destroy of worlds. That's that's one of the things I told you they get early on that they keep giving me shit about. Like basically, it probably comes up like maybe once every two weeks. Okay. How how it just uh you know a, a rhino sized alien uh, snuck up on them and and almost killed all of them, but uh, didn't manage to. It, it was actually really extraordinarily ineffective just from the die rolls. Um, but uh, that they the just, best uh, way to defeat to, to get away from those things is to go down a normal sized corridor that it can't go right, down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they they were. I think the the umbrance was like that that this thing could could hide from them for so long. But uh, but I liked it. It worked out really well. It was super funny and terrifying at the same time because because one of the characters got basically pinned by it. But. But yeah, so that's one of the things that they really continue to give me shit about. But I, I think it was it was fabulous. Um, uh, 
That's not really a question, but I do have a question. <laughs> well, I think the question was: Is was it designed to be a stealthy creature? Yeah. Should yeah. should a should a giant creature have unfolded itself from the ceiling? <laughs> you know, nobody <laughs> saw it, right? I think that's what we were giving them a hard time. Ceilings. We're like, really, we didn't see this thing, and it just drops down on us. What, like, <laughs> what room were you? Were the guy? Were you guys in the ammo? The ammo dump. The ammo okay, room. the ammo dump is a pretty big room, so I could see yeah. that. Um, yeah, if you guys were in the command center, I would call bullshit. Yeah. But <laughs> no, it, was, it was the ammo area where it was supposed to be, and uh, I, I probably didn't describe how high the ceilings were properly or right. something. But uh, yeah, well, but I mean, it, it would it folded up, you know, like like aliens do. It would pass yeah. as a big bulky piece of equipment, especially with the lights out, since the power was not out in the, on in that place. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, I mean, but those <laughs> those things really aren't designed for stealth. No. But if it was if it was hibernating, you know, if it was just if it was, then absolutely you wouldn't catch it right away. But um, I'm sure once it starts getting to the ground and moving around, you're screwed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we were well aware it once it got to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> like, Why are all these dead bodies smashed on the ground? Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I, I wanted to ask is like, uh, so do you hide any kind of any Easter eggs or kind of personal references in, in the stuff that you write, just as kind of stuff that absolutely not. You. Well, <laughs> Besides uh, the giant full page I'm, picture I'm gonna, of a cat, I'm going to walk out the room now because that's. <laughs> so, um, uh, besides Adrian, <laughs> which most people pronounce Zimajewski. Oh, that's my grandfather. Okay. Oh. Yeah. My grandfather had this thing with his belt, <laughs> just like <laughs> that character does. Um, and my mother's maiden name is Smievsky. And we would constantly get um, telemarketers calling, can we speak to Miss Zimajewski? Like, no one can ever pronounce it, which <laughs> is why I worked that all in. Um, there are fans who have said, hey, can you kill me? And I'm like, absolutely. I want to die. So I put, I put, I put fans in there. Um, uh, some some of the, the one I think one of the Colonial Marine uh, commanders, the commandant or something like that, was named after one of the fans as well. I, I may have put an in joke about certain actors from a certain film franchise in one of the Destroyer events. Um, I, I do little jokes like that to see if people notice, and I'm surprised how much gets noticed. I really am. People are like on the ball with this stuff. So, um, yeah, I think most writers do this, you know, um, yeah. whether or not they're, they're they, if they're really good at it, then no one ever gets it. And then it's not really funny, is it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. You remember I, some I, of the things I, or what? Yeah. You know, like I, I do that in, you know, when I'm, when, when I'm GMing, like uh -huh. I, I basically put, uh, uh, Gollum from Lord of the Rings in in, uh, in Twilight 2000 and like nobody picked up on it. Really? That's uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think poor Nathan, I think Nathan has definitely gone over our heads way too many times with some of the references. <laughs> we, I think we we don't we don't always get them. Yeah. But it's still, it's it's, it's for me though, mm -hmm. and and, and uh, I know that they're there, so that's that's uh, that's the fun part. Matt, did you have any other any other questions? No, I, I kind of I talked a little bit before we started recording. Just, uh, um, but no, I think uh, you talked about the maps. Um, I, I just a real short thing is like I, I really appreciate. So Ari's like science fiction, 
where the technology is like set in like 1985. Mm-hmm. So just the whole feel of like yeah. the CRT monitor maps, mm-hmm. right? You know, there, there, there's something just rewarding with this sort of like, you know what? Just because they made the movie 30 years ago, we're just going to, that's that's canon now. That's the way computers stay forever, you know? It's, well, no, I wrote but, stuff but about But beautiful that. maps. Because yeah, of radiation and all the, yeah. Yeah, I wrote stuff about why they use older tech also in the, in the thing to explain that away. Plus, um, if you look in the core book, all right. Well, if you look around the set really carefully in the HD version of the first Alien movie, you'll see that there's like, you know, TDK 90 minute cassettes laying around like audio cassettes. And so I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to explain this? Because I, I just can't let that go. You know, this is my OCD work. So I looked up magnetic tape and I found out that they were they come come up with a new form of magnetic tape that that actually can hold more data than than the regular hard drives can and everything like that. And then I was like, OK, so these are disposable hard drives pretty much that people keep their personal information on and it's the 90 is not 90 minutes it's 90 terabytes and <laughs> and it's in there it's in the core book and, and and it's all based if if you look up the terms i have in there you'll be like oh shit this is all real <laughs> so, <laughs> um so yeah no i yeah i love i love that aesthetic and i'm not gonna pretend it doesn't exist and i think the prometheus stuff makes perfect sense as well because that was the richest guy in the universe who had that chip so of mm. course he's gonna have the more expensive stuff and you know if they're if their uh uh 4k or 20k monitor goes down he's gonna have pull another one out of his back pocket and put it up again so he doesn't care <laughs> but um yeah so I, I i love that aesthetic too i wanted to embrace that aesthetic and i'm really happy that they put the crt lines and everything and stuff like that they, they it, it has been a lot of we both see alien the same way which has been really a pleasure to work with, with somebody like that, because uh, a lot of times you're like, oh, how am I going to get, how am I going to make this mo- what it needs to be and trick them into thinking that is what they want it to be? <laughs> you know? um, anybody who's ever had a boss has been in that situation. Um, and I don't, that's not what happens with Freeland. So yeah, they, they, they know. Yeah. And it worked out for us as, as players too, because, uh, and you're just telling the players that, hey, just, you know, this is nineteen, the best of nineteen eighties technology. There's no Wi-Fi, and, and just put all this these modern conveniences out of your head, and that kind of lends itself to the kind of disconnectedness and the the, the horror and the in the uh, isolation. You know, without all these kind of instant transmissions everywhere, and, and you're just dealing with like the, you know, your your shoulder radios and things like that. So it's a, uh, I I really like that. I, I think it plays into into that horror aspect a lot. So that's, that's uh, all really, really uh, well received from us. Awesome. But, uh, and I forgot to say this earlier, but uh, congratulations on the innies. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Hopefully Especially, we have, hopefully we get nominated again this year for the CMOM. I'm sure you will. Um, <laughs> no doubt in my mind. And what was my favorite one? Was it the uh, best death or something? <laughs> <laughs> best way to die best that was, way to die that was from tabletop gaming magazine yeah that was an entity that was tabletop gaming magazine. Uh, okay that's I, I did see that but that uh i saw that as like okay yeah i agree there are so, so many wonderful ways to die in that <laughs> but uh true I, I think we can wrap it up and, and let you have some uh your night back uh 
I really appreciate having you with us. It's been a bit of pleasure, especially so much, how much how much time we spent with your with your products. Uh, really enjoying them. So this has been an honor for us, for me at least. I'm sure probably Matt too. Oh, I've completely enjoyed this. <laughs> no, 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 he, no, he hates no. me. He hates me. <laughs> 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 no, I, again, I, I completely enjoyed the setting and, and I read through, um, I actually stayed away from reading the scenarios in the colonial Marine because I'm hoping Nathan will run again, maybe a geek weekend this year. So, but I just, I, the, the, the whole franchise is amazing. You know, it was one of the scariest movies I ever watched. And then they followed it up with one of the most badass movies I've ever watched. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there were some other movies they made that, uh, <laughs> some others, yeah. which, I love, which I love were, I actually love the third movie, uh, especially the assembly cut. The, okay. I don't know if you've seen the extended no. version. Oh, you got to watch that. It's so right. it's so much better. There are parts in the third movie when you watch the theatrical version, you're like, wait, what just happened? And it's, oh, because they left this big chunk of scene out. That's why, <laughs> you know, okay. so I, I really recommend it. Um, I think it's called revisit. I think it's called the special edition now because the assembly cut was when they found the footage, but couldn't find the audio. They just had this oh, shitty no. original audio. So the audio would be terrible and suddenly subtitles would come up for those scenes. And then when they went, to, when they redid it again for the next Blu-ray version, they called it the special edition and they brought all the actors back into the studio, oh. you know, 15, 20 years later, 20, 30 years later, however long since Alien 3. And uh, they had them re-record the lines so they could ADR it. So oh my gosh. But it's, it's, it's great. It's great. Okay. Good. Check it out. Yeah, Alien Resurrection, I've, I've never been a big fan of. But, yeah. um, but and here's the thing, too. It's like, it's still canon. Um, it, I, it, I, it's not my job, nor would I anyway, to pretend it's not canon. Um, that's, that's not how this works. And the reason why we set the game when we did was only because there's so much more interesting things happening at that time than setting it after Resurrection, because that's 200 years from the future. Um, but one of the cool things is, and you've probably seen this since you have the sea mom, they, the Betty, the ship from resurrection, they say she's over 200 years old. And so I have the, the Mantis ship that's in the colonial Marines operations manual is one of the ships you can use. So it, it, that's your indicator that, yeah, no, that's still canon because it's a cool ass ship. Um, this one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, yeah, I have all this crap around me because I'm obsessed. So, <laughs> at any rate, you're professionally obsessed. Yeah. Okay. So, any last words? Uh... Um, no, I I'm also uh, the lead writer on the Terminator game. That's from um, Nightfall Games. It's not from Free League. That's going to be oh. coming out. I think it should be in stores in June at this point. Um, I also was lead writer and creative director of uh, Carbon Gray, which is a RPG that's it's a World War One diesel punk thing that's um, bringing using the uh, West End game system from from uh, the Star Wars days. It's using really? those worlds. Um, that's over at Magnetic Press Play, and we're planning on putting out a lot of games with those with the with the West End worlds. We've updated the rules a bit so that they're um, more in line with modern gaming. Um, There's some things that, uh, honestly, if you look at things, the West End system is almost like the ancestor of the way these 
games have done now that the d6 pool dice and all that stuff it's like it's clear hey these guys came out of this but there are some rules in there that were like super clunky that we cleaned up and it's we call it the d6 mv uh which is magnetic variant that's why is that out now or uh, the kickstarter was last year and the they, they i believe they're going to be arriving at the end of this month for you can order from the website if you haven't yet and then in stores thereafter but uh yeah check it out it's got cool minis and everything um cool miniatures not from cool minis cool miniatures <laughs> um, gotta be careful what you say nowadays um yeah yeah, yeah and, and and uh i just there's a bunch of other projects that are coming up that i can't talk about right now but i'm 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 working on a ton of things i have 25 releases to my name by the end of this year and 10 of them come out this year <laughs> so um i mean part of this is covid related the delays and stuff but but I've been working working my ass off, you know, getting those uh, any nominations, uh, which I mean awards actually. Uh, it just has made it so that you know I don't. Uh, this is my job, freelance, and I don't have to worry about my day job anymore. So um, it's a good time f- to be doing this stuff. Yeah. Living the dream, living the dream. Yeah. Cash on the Terminator. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much you could talk. Is it? Can you set it anywhere, or do you have it set like I'm thinking the 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 movies? Uh, you know, Sarah Connor back in the current time frame, and then there's the one that took place like you know with John Carter. Like, is it? Can you talk about like when that's set? So the game, the the core book game that's coming out is uh, set basically it uses the the first movie and the graphic novels from Dark Horse um, as. Okay. As a setting, um, there I, I can't talk about what's happening next, but um, that's that's where we start with this stuff. Um, okay, and even stuff that let's put it this way: nothing's contradicted. It's I did I did one of my voodoo canon things to make sure that each book <laughs> each book works without the other book without without contradicting the other stuff. So yeah, so it, nice. it's it's. Um, yeah, you're starting off right now with the first movie and the comics, so which means that means the 1980s, okay, and it means uh, the 2020s uh, because that's the 2029 is when the um, Kyle Reese was sent back in time. So it's the 2020s, and because the comics took place in the 2030s, you also got that. So you know, so it, and the more more options will be increasing as the line goes on. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to. Uh, grab the links for those, and when I get time to edit this video, I'll I'll make sure they're they're in the uh, in the details. Oh, I just realized what we didn't mention. If you want to sure. the Titan novels, the uh, adventures in the Titan oh, novels. Oh yeah, we didn't. Yeah, we you wanted we, to talk uh, about that. We kind of mentioned it, but we didn't really talk about that. Yeah. yeah so, so you you said you started t- talking with them and like made sure they were kind of in line with what uh, what you're working on but how how do those scenarios that are coming out in those three books how do they uh how do they relate to the rest of the the work that you've done for well, alien they're all they're related to events that happen in the simum okay okay um in fact there might be some resolution to stuff from the simum that's left open ended there mm-hmm. um so so they spin out of that concept and I have written in the back of each of the novels an adventure which spins out of the actual events of the novels. So, okay, interesting. The first one basically 
the end scene of the novel is the opening scene for your players at the table. So it's like ships that pass the night is the best way to describe it. Okay. And then the second one, there's an event that happens in the middle of the novel when they're like, we got to put our other people on that. And you're the other people when you play it. Mm. So it's like you are in you're I'm part of this now. You know, it's that whole thing that I want, that interactive thing. Yeah. So um so yeah, so you get you get to be involved in the events of these things. And I I I've been juggling back and forth on how it should go, and I think probably we designed them so that they work either way, but probably for your best bang, I would say GMs read the novel first, run the game, and then have your let your players read the novel. You see what I'm Body saying? Book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um when are those coming out? Uh the first one comes out this month, I think. And then the second one in June or July. Mm-hmm. And the third one is next year. Okay. That's a really cool concept. I mean, it's like a, a really advanced version of the choose your own novel. Yeah. But you're not really <laughs> choosing the from the written part. Yeah. But there is I, I don't again, not knowing and not seeing these, um, again, this is an amazing idea. Like let's say the one in the middle. Something like you play through the middle and then either X or Y happens and then you pick up the book. Like, I, I don't know the idea of like, oh, what if you, there's like two different endings. Right. I, I don't know how you do something like that. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, choose, you choose X or Y. So you pick up at page 400 or you page up at page 600 or something like that. But, but well, either that, way, the idea of like integrating like, like a game within a, within the novel, that's a really cool idea. Yeah. Thanks. It's something that I was pushing for us to try. Um, so that idea you have would not work in these cases because um, I'm not the writer of the novels. I'm just the writer of the adventures. Oh, okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But with Carbon Gray, uh, we have a book called Badge of Blood, and it is a solo adventure that is designed like a choose similar. No, not designed like a choose your own adventure. It's it's similar to the solo adventures from West End Games that they did for Star Wars back in the 90s. So I don't know if you, they did one with Han and they did one with Luke. I don't know if you guys are aware of these. No. But basically the setup is every page has paragraphs with numbers, okay? And so it's not just turned to the page 22. It's go to number 42. You know what I mean? So it's – and it's it, it depends on, you know, roll the dice. If you roll this, go to this. If you roll that, go to that. You know, it's 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 something that I've, I've kind of passionate about, this idea of doing – being able to play – for lack of a better word, with yourself, um, <laughs> because because uh, it, it seems like a lot of that was going on during the pandemic. People were interested in, well, can you do solo play? Well, absolutely, and we're going to do it in an interesting way. Um, and my writing partner on that, uh, E.L. Thomas, he came up with this great incursion count system because in Badger Blood, you're infiltrating something, and every, t- every now and then, if something happens, it's like add one to your incursion count. So if you get to a certain point, then it's like, up. Oh, you got to go to this number instead now, and the shit is at the fan, you know. Um, so it, it it works really well, and the, this all spiraled out of the fact that Eric yelled, "Thomas, Eric, and I we um, we co-wrote the first two graphic novel adaptations of Choose Your Own Adventure novel. Um, the okay. first first one came out last year. It's Eighth Grade Witch, and the the second one comes out this August, which is Journey Under the Sea, and we just had a lot of fun doing that. And we're like, okay, so how do we take this concept and apply it to actual gaming instead? You know, that's where we started this stuff. So the, the, it's not at all what's going on with the stuff in the alien novels. It's very different, right, but it's right, all, yeah. let's, but let's, 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 let's make these different types of media and blend them together. You know, 
it's kind of funny. I have to mention it. Uh, so, so Freely does a lot of solo play rules in, in, in their mm-hmm. books. And, I don't know uh, anything about that, but yes, well, I'm sure. Well, yeah. We do, yeah, uh, okay. especially Matt, because Matt made uh, a series oh. of videos called Playing With Myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I was laughing when you said that. That's, that's, the, that's my series. You know, what's funny is I'm going to look up these carbon gray, right? So I, I've, I've almost, I've got a few more I'm doing for Twilight, but my intention is to do this for other game systems, but it really did what it touched into is there's an entire market for solo play. Yeah. There's a, I found some good websites. There's some blog sites that all talk about structuring for solo play. So I, I think it's a really, it is definitely an, uh, it is not a saturated market, right? There are people who can't, you know, even with electronic gaming, it is still hard to schedule to have a group of people to get mm-hmm. together at the same time and play. And so as a kid, I used to read Choose Your Own Adventure books. Loved yeah. them. I mean, so it is. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Find Your Fate, Choose Your Own Adventure, all those. Yeah. Indiana Jones ones. There were G.I. Joe ones too, I think. Oh, wow. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a really cool thing. And I, I have plans for something which I can't discuss now, which is more advanced even than that for this stuff, because it, it's something that I'm passionate about. Um, what do you call it? I'll get you guys copies of Arbor Gray yeah, stuff if you want to awesome. review it yeah. and look at it. Yeah. That'd be good. Terrific, and lo- love to have you on again when when awesome. you when you yeah, can talk some about of these stuff. projects <laughs> come out, right? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to be back. Well, let's do it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, um, Drew. This has been fabulous. I, I, I know I'm a lot smarter now. Um, <laughs> was, uh, Usually, people feel, feel dumber after they're in the room with me. So. <laughs> well, you know, we're we've longtime gamers, but neither of us are in the industry, so we find a lot of the stuff about how did you publish? How did you meet the person? Like that's very fascinating for us because it's, it's the whole world behind the gaming system and the publishing that, you know, we just grew up playing the games. And so, yeah, I know it's always great to, to, to find out, you know, what, how's the sausage made, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I tried for a long time. I, I I always feel like my career is 10 years behind what it's supposed to be. Okay. Cause I tried by a long time for doing the things the way they say you're supposed to do. And it just, I was getting nowhere because I was just lost in the crowd. And I was like, all right, fine. I, I, I got to do something different. That outside of the box thinking is what got me where I am. And, you know, that first plan of the Apes book cost me 40 grand to put together. And because of stuff that went down with the publisher, I never saw a dime. But I don't feel like I lost any money because that book launched my career. If it wasn't for that, then Fox wouldn't have called me. For this happened, wouldn't have been that happened. So, you know, that, that's, that's like a cheap college investment, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. very cheap. These days. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 I always say that because I went to school of visual arts, um, I got a degree in fine art. Um, and I, you know, with an emphasis on comic books, that's where I was intending to go. But I always feel like that there were much more talented people than me there at school, but none of them were stupid enough to keep trying Every time they fell down, they all went into other fields. And I was just a guy who kept getting up and was too stupid to walk away. And eventually it worked because of that. So you got to, you got to, you got to commit to, you got to commit to trying to do these things differently and just, you know, don't give up on your dreams. I mean, I don't want to sound like a t-shirt or anything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's awesome though. I mean, that's right. Nothing venture, nothing gained, right? I mean, you have to take that risk. That's awesome. So really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks. Thank you.
And, uh, yep, so uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for, for watching, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed the, this uh, informative session. <laughs> uh, we'll see you again uh, uh, some other time. 